Do we have to do this every time? Well, good morning. There we go. It is a good morning, isn't it? Beautiful day. We are just, uh, just outside of Easter and the celebration of, of everything that really makes what Christianity is, the victory of Jesus over sin and over death that he gives to us. And that, that's coming up. I'm already excited about Easter. We've been doing a, a journey over the last couple of weeks. I've called it a journey to Jerusalem. And the account that we're, we're doing this morning actually is kind of a little bit before all that, but that doesn't matter. Um, let, me, let me just set this up. And then I want to pray. I put this message together. It's called A Better Way. And as I'm sitting there this morning thinking about the message, it's, it's kind of like, I wish I had a different one. Because <laughs> it's a hard message. It's a tough message. So I'm going to give that to you right up front. So let me set this up. Jesus has been with his 12 disciples. He takes them out of Galilee. He goes north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is kind of like the cult center of the world at that time. There were a bunch of um, temples there to, to foreign gods. There was a huge well in, right inside of a cave that everybody considered it to be the gateway to hell. They couldn't measure how deep it was. So Jesus takes the disciples up there, and he has this discussion, a strange place to have this discussion, or maybe the perfect place. And you all know this passage of Scripture where, where he says, who do people say I am? Oh, you're John the Baptist, or you're Elijah, maybe you're one of the prophets. And then he turns the question to his disciples, and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter confesses, you are the Messiah. That means you are the chosen one of God. And Jesus says to him, this has not been revealed to you by man, it's been revealed to you by the Spirit. That's the immediate passage before what we're going to look at right now. But you need that to kind of set the stage. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for everybody that's here. I thank you for those who are going to watch online, either now or, or later. Father, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that unifies us wherever we are in one. We are one in Christ. Father, I pray right now as I come to, to bring this message, and I know it's a difficult message, difficult for me, that you would empty me of me, fill me with your spirit, so the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but they're your words, empowered by your spirit. And Father, for each person that you've brought here, and I know everybody that's here is here because you brought them here, open up our hearts and our minds, our spirit, to what you would speak to us today so that we can be transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... They've just confessed Jesus is the Messiah. This is Matthew chapter 16. If you didn't get a, uh, a sermon outline and you want one, just raise your hand, one right up here. Anybody else? And one over there, one down there, two. I got, I got four, I got four. Can I get five? Can I get five? We got one over here, five, six. I got six. 
You need a sermon outline today because it's got all the scripture in there. There's one online for you people who are watching online. Go to the message part, I believe it is, and you, you can pick one up there. I think it's PDF and a doc. Over here, you need more copies? All right. Now let's start the scripture then. Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. From then on, okay, so we've just had this conversation. Who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, I want to begin this kind of talking about the perspective from Jesus. I, I, I don't know if you... I always try to put myself in the, in the position of the person that I'm reading here. So this is Jesus. And I wonder sometimes at what point did Jesus come to terms with who he is and what's going to happen to him? I mean, he's born a baby, right? Babies don't know anything. He's fully human. He's fully God. He's born a baby. And we know it... Uh, his parents knew because of all the miraculous circumstances surrounding his birth. You know, they have visions and dreams and angels appeared. So they knew exactly who this was. But, but Jesus wouldn't have immediately. So at some point, I don't know if mom and dad sit down and, and try to explain to him, like, what, what do you say? Uh, you're God. I say, what? What do you mean I'm God? But at some point, Jesus gains an understanding of who he is. The only account that we've got of Jesus as a young man is, uh, I believe he was a teenager, I can't remember. And the parents come down to Jerusalem. They're living up in Nazareth. They come down for a festival. They're heading back to Nazareth, and they realize Jesus isn't with them. And they go back to look for Jesus. They search the town. They find him in the temple talking with the teachers of the law. So at that point, we know, and they were all amazed at his knowledge and his understanding. So I would gather at that point, Jesus is fully aware of who he is. Now, I don't know that mom and dad would have ever, up until about this time, have figured out what was going to happen. They know who Jesus is. This is their little boy. He's going to be the Messiah. But how this was going to come to be. So I wonder at what stage is Jesus, who loved the Word, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's reading the Bible, he's reading the Scriptures, as they had in those days. At what point does he read through the prophecies about himself and realize, this is me. This is what's going to happen to me. And, and I've put Isaiah 53 up. This is a, what we call a messianic prophecy. It says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. You ever notice that Jesus in the movies, he's movie star Jesus. I always remember that series, Son of God. I think Rick Warren's church had something to do with it. And I mean, you could not get any more of a movie star Jesus 
But really, if you want to be more accurate, you know who they should have playing Jesus? Danny DeVito. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. <laughs> like it, it, the scripture says, he was nothing great to look at, but we've always got, he's taller than everybody else. He's got the long, wavy hair. Danny DeVito. <laughs> but it, so we, he's reading this like a shoot and dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, which was how his people treated him. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You imagine Jesus is reading this. This is me. I'm going to get beaten. I'm going to get whipped. I'm going to be pierced. And it, it carries on. And there are so many scriptures like that. So here we are. His disciples have just acknowledged him as the Messiah. Jesus knows this is the beginning of the journey to Jerusalem. And he gathers his disciples together and he's telling them the stuff that he knows about himself. And he's beginning this process of preparing the 12 of them for the mission to come. So I want to refocus on that first verse again. And, and I've got, I want you to circle some things or underline them in your notes there. Underline the word began, plainly, necessary. And then there are three phrases that begin with he would. He would suffer, he would be killed, he would be raised. So, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples. So, that gives us an understanding that this is part of an in-depth, ongoing conversation. There's more to it than what we just read right here. He said it plainly. He made it clear. He, so many times Jesus talked in parables. It even says in the scripture sometimes that their understanding had been intentionally clouded. Not this time. Jesus wanted them to understand what was going to happen. There's no ambiguity. Necessary. He explains that what is about to happen, it, it's not trite or trivial or even circumstantial. It is necessary. It must happen. And then he explains the, 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 the what. Here's what is going to happen. He would suffer. He would be killed. And he would be raised. It's probably not a very pleasant conversation that he's having with these guys. Not for him, because he's describing that this is all about to happen to me. And not for them. Now look at the response in verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter, who has just 
acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Heaven forbid. That doesn't make sense. God's not going to allow this, Jesus. What are you talking about? It's a classic reaction when we get really horrific news, bad news so often, we don't want to believe it. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I remember this morning, I read it 400 days ago, when, uh, when the Russians were building up their forces on the borders of Ukraine. And, you know, the horror of that situation, thinking, are we still there? I thought we were past all of this. Like, no, no, they, they're not going to do that. They're not. There's no way, you know, what, what's going to happen? World War III? What's going to happen to my grandkids? Are they going to be fighting in wars? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? Is the whole economy going to go down? I mean, you, you, but all through it, it's kind of like, nah, nah, they're, they're not going to do that. There's no way they're going to do that. They're just blowing smoke. But there's something inside of you when you look at the evidence that there's a little whisper inside of you that says, yeah, I think this is what it is. So Peter and the other disciples listened to Jesus tell them this story. Jesus, who is the Messiah, he's God become a man. And their immediate reaction is, no. No, what are you, what are you talking about? We don't want to believe it. We try to rationalize things away. But it was a very intensely difficult moment for Jesus because now he's got to persuade them the thing that he's already worried about. He's got to manage his own feelings, his own emotions. Now he's got to manage theirs too. He carries on. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not God's. That's a pretty good slap upside the head, isn't it? Now, when you look at the Greek, it's not so bad. Jesus isn't calling Peter Satan as it seems. It's almost like when you would say, Ah, you devil. He's Satanish. <laughs> you devil. Now, there's a lot in this short little exclamation. Look at Jesus' words. You are a dangerous trap to me. So Jesus is acknowledging his humanity right here. He is fully God, fully man. And the most basic desire of the human being is to live. When a baby is born, what's the first thing they do? <gasps> and then gasping for breath. And then shortly after that, what do they do? Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And so it goes. It's natural in us to, to want to survive, to hold on to life, to grasp life. That's why we struggle with this weird dichotomy, you know, with heaven and here, right? When somebody passes on, what do we say? Oh, they're in a better place. But we do everything to avoid getting to the better place, right? We even pray for them. Lord, deliver them. Deliver them from what? Paradise. It's because in our human nature, we hold on to life. It's in us. It's natural. 
We want what is to come, but not today. So Jesus has gone through the painstaking task of explaining to the disciples of what he is doing, what is necessary. I'm going to give up my life. I do this voluntarily. I'm going to walk into this situation, which goes completely against human nature. In fact, a little bit further down the road here, a few chapters on, he's praying to God. Remember that passage where he says, is there another way? Can we do it a different way, God? He wants to hold on to life. Thy will, but not my will. But is there a better way? And, and there's this battle inside of us. So he's, Peter comes to him with this, no, 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 no. And there's a part of Jesus that wants to grasp onto what Peter's saying and say, yeah, you're right. Let's head on over to the Mediterranean. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap. So what's the trap? A trap is a snare. It holds you prisoner, often painfully. It's something usually that you stumble into unintentionally and then you can't get out of. So Jesus continues, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So now we get to the meat of things here. He is saying that the human point of view is a trap. But we have a problem, don't we? We're human. The only point of view I got is a human point of view. So I'm kind of trapped in my point of view. Peter is looking at it from a human point of view. He wants to fix the situation. What are you talking about, Jesus? God's not going to do that. God wouldn't do that. But God's way is not our way. God's way is a better way. But it doesn't look like a better way, does it? And Jesus says to his disciples, he really drives it home. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. <laughs> All right, now put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a second. First, they acknowledge Jesus is the Messiah. You're God become a man. You are all powerful. You can raise people from the dead. You, you're God. Second, Jesus says to him, here's what's going to happen. I'm going into Jerusalem intentionally. I'm going to walk into a trap. I'm going to let them arrest me. I'm going to let them beat me. I'm going to let them torture me. I'm going to let them kill me. And then he tells them, if you really are my followers, you got to partner with me on this journey. Give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. There's your way, and there's my way. And my way is the way of the cross. Now, let's be honest here for a second. Who's up for that deal? Any takers? I don't blame you. From a human perspective, it's not very attractive, is it? It goes against what we would see as a better way. How can this be a better way? This is not a better way. This is, this is nuts. 
And then he carries on. Verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I mean, their heads must have been spinning. He just keeps going. It's like, what? I try to hold on to my life, I will lose it. But if I give up my life for you, uh, I will gain it. Like, what was he eating? (laughs) And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? He's saying to them, what are you living for? What is of greatest value to you? Do you value the here and now? Do you value the temporary? Or do you value that which is eternal? What are you living for? And I guess the question he's asking, why would you forsake the eternal for something that's temporary? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Let me just talk about this word judge for a second. Um, You might be reading this in a different translation. Most of the other translations... The New Living was the only one that I could see that used the word judge. The Greek word is better translated as repay. And when you look at the definition of that Greek word, it's to give what is owed to somebody. But not from a negative, you're going to get what you deserve, from a positive. I'm going to make sure you get everything that you deserve. Everything you've earned. So Jesus, in essence, is saying to them, give up your life here. Live for what is beyond because I'm coming back and you will be rewarded for the way that you chose to live. There are rewards, eternal rewards. And then he finishes up. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some will see this sooner rather than later. Now, if they weren't confused before, they're pretty darn confused now. (laughs) So let me see if I got this. You're the Messiah, the chosen one. You're going to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. If we want to be your followers, we need to go and do that with you. If we try to save our lives, we will lose our lives. If we lose our lives, we will gain our lives Nothing is is worth more than our souls. One day you're coming back. You're going to reward us. And some of us are not going to die before we see you in our kingdom. Yeah, got that. Thank you, Jesus. What's for lunch? (laughs) All right. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Let me tell you something if you haven't already figured it out. And it's right in your notes. God doesn't always make sense. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Nothing like. Not remotely like. Not similar. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So start putting that together. You can't even imagine God's thoughts. You, you know, we, sometimes we wrestle with You know, I wonder what God was thinking when he was doing that. You have no clue. (laughs) But just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There is our way, there is Yahweh, which is God's way, and it's a better way. Say that again. (laughs) There is our way. 
There is God's way, Yahweh, and it's a better way. But it doesn't always make sense because God is so far above what we see and understand. We cannot make sense of it. We live in the midst of brokenness. Uh, Part of what was on my mind when I was putting this together, it just seems lately I've been talking to so many people who are dealing with truly horrific things. And they're trying to make sense of what is going on in life. And we're all looking at the future. We're seeing banks in crisis. Today I read that Russia's putting nuclear weapons in Belarus. and You know, it, it's just, oh, what's going to happen? Can you stop it, God? Couldn't you change my circumstances? Couldn't you change this? Why, why are these things happening? And if, if God were to whisper in your ear, this is my way. This is the better way. It's like, you've got to be kidding me, man. How can this be the better way? My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. You see, he's preparing them. Right now, he's with them, right? He's with them in the flesh. So it's a lot easier when you're walking with Jesus to trust in Jesus because he's right there. They get to watch him. Last week, you know, we talked about the blind man and Jesus, go rub some mud in your eyes and he comes back and he can see. We know not long after this, on the way to Jerusalem, he's going to raise somebody from the dead. It's easy to trust in Jesus when Jesus is right there. But he's preparing them because the road ahead for them is as difficult as the road ahead for him. Each one of these disciples is going to live a miserable life. They are also going to be tortured. They're also going to be imprisoned. They're also going to be killed. And he's preparing them. Right now he's with them. Soon he's not going to be with them. And then he's going to be with them again. And then he's not going to be with them again. And he's teaching his closest followers, the ones who would be the founders of the church, you must trust even if it doesn't make sense. No matter what happens. You know, one of the things I hate about this, when I stand up here and I preach messages like this, it seems trite. You must trust even though it makes no sense. That's not very easy sometimes when the shoes that you're in are difficult shoes. And you're watching people that you love die. And you're worried about what's going to happen. And then the pastor says, you just got to learn to trust Jesus. That's good. Let's go. (laughs) It's hard. But let me ask you a question. If someone offered you a better way, would you take it? Okay, I'm glad you responded the way you responded. Here's the reason for that less 
than enthusiastic response. There was one yes I heard over here. We don't get it. They didn't get it. We don't get it. We're not 100% convinced that this is a better way. Maybe up here, but not here. And what's the problem? We're human. What did Jesus say to Peter? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. We have to gain a different perspective. A godlier perspective, which is a better way. And in order to do that, we have to stay in tune with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have to gain an understanding of just exactly what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Now, sometimes we make it harder. We make it harder. I remember having a conversation with a young man right there, sitting where you're sitting, John. And he came up to me after the service, and he said, I want to die for Jesus. Okay. It sounds noble. I want to die for Jesus. So I took a second and I thought about it. Because what do you say to that? That's very noble. That's very good. Go, die for Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to die for him. He wants us to live for him. He wants us to die to self so that we can live for him. The absolute best response that that we can provide to a broken world is that we live our lives wholly and completely trusting Jesus. But it's deeper than that. It's, It's how we live. How we live when life doesn't make sense, how we live when God doesn't make sense, speaks way more about our faith than pretty much anything else. You know, last week, when I talked about, you know, right on your bulletin there or your notes, I put, Our mission statement, through the power of the Holy Spirit, transform people into fully devoted followers of God. And I keep talking about what does a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? And last week I said they're a storyteller. But you can tell more stories with the things that you don't say, just simply how you live in difficult circumstances than any word that comes out of your mouth. And that's why this is so, so important. It's a really simple message from a complicated text to do something that is not easy to do. We are to live lives that are attractive and winsome in all circumstances. To do that, you've got to stay in step with the Spirit. So there's your basics. You better be in the Word every day. That's one way you stay close to the Spirit. I didn't put this on a note and it's the three main points. (laughs) You've got to be in prayer, not just when you need something, but prayer is communication with God. It's relationship with God, and the more time you spend in prayer, the more time God has your attention. I know a lot of people that, a lot of Christians that, you know, the belief is strong, 
But when you look at the daily habits in their lives, are, are you reading your word every day? Are you getting close to God every day? Are you in prayer every day? You cannot live victoriously in this mess of a world if you are not close to Jesus every single day. And then the third part of that, this is all part A, is service. You need to be in the Word, you need to be in prayer, and you need to serve. Nothing will lift your spirits more in the middle of difficulty than helping other people in their difficulty. Now, what I mean by lift your spirits, you don't come out of that situation going, hey! I mean, the conversations I've been having lately, I haven't come away from any of them cheering, but I've come away from them praying and asking God, can you use me to help? Can you use me to help? And giving God thanks for the difficult circumstances in my life that I've experienced so I can use those difficulties to help someone else. The second thing, we need to stay in community. We need each other. We need each other. If you're not in good Christian community, I'm talking not just church, you need to be in a small group, and you need to have two, one or two good Christian friends. We've somebody, uh, we're talking about this last night. You need to have some people that you can go to and unload on. Man, I don't know what's going on. Man, I'll, okay, I get it. Let me pray for you. Just to lend a listening ear. We need each other. And then the third thing is we need to reach out. We re need to reach out to a broken world so that those who don't know him will come to know him, will be saved and be discipled so they can continue the work that Jesus has called us to do. Romans 15, 13. Love this verse. This is a better way. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, who's not up for that? Seriously? <laughs> Who wants that? Come on. <laughs> nah, kind of like my ingrowing toenail. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Yes, please. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> because you trust in him. Lord, teach me to trust in you more. I want more joy. I want more peace. I need to trust in you. Then you will overflow with confident hope. Oh, yeah. Soak me in some of that. I, yeah, I want to be drenched in that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, what time is it here? 11.24. It's counterintuitive. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he explains this scenario that's going to happen. And the first thing they do is shrink back from it. This is God's way. This is Yahweh. This is the better way. No. Trust me. 
They missed the most important part of the whole conversation. I will be resurrected again. I will come back to life. Peter didn't mention it. You'd think that would kind of be that they're going to do all this, nail you to a cross, and then you're going to get up and walk away. Tell me about that, Jesus. (laughs) That's what I want to know about. And I want you to follow me because you too are going to get up and walk away. That's why we don't live for this because there's something so much better to live for. You've got to live for the eternal. That's what Jesus is teaching them there. It's a better way. It's Yahweh. It's God's way. We have to give up ourselves, our understanding, our rationale of how things ought to be and surrender to his way, the better way. No matter how off-center that might be, that means lean not on your own understanding, right? If you die to self, you will find life, life everlasting, life abundant, real life among the dead. The best advertisement that we can be for Jesus is to live, live, live his way, the better way, among their way when we're out there. That means that we show grace when none is afforded or deserved. That we give when it seems better and more convenient and easier to take. That we are silent when we want to shout. That's not right. My rights, my rights, my rights. That we speak up when we want to be silent. That we reach out when it seems easier to shrink back and hide. That we go into the darkness and be a light when it's more comfortable to stay in the light with my Christian friends. And that we are a beacon for hope in a hopeless world. It means to be faithful amongst the faithless. That's what it means to take up your cross and follow him. And if you do these things, you will find life, abundant life, everlasting life. The Lord has a better way for you. But to get to it, you've got to be willing to give up anything that he asks you to give up and take up his way, his cross, and trust him. And I think I put Jeremiah, did I put Jeremiah 17 in your notes? What a great verse. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. So let me finish up with a question. Where do you need to trust the Lord more? If his way is a better way, Where do you need to trust him more? Preach it, lady. All my life, everything she said. Let's pray. I like that. Lord, this is a difficult message. 
Teach us to trust you. Lord, when things don't make sense, when we're in the middle of trials, and we don't see the end, and it doesn't seem to fit your plan, teach us to trust you. When we encounter people who are hurting, and we don't have answers, teach us to trust you. Father, help us to be a light in a dark world. Help us to be a blessing in a world that really needs a blessing. Help us to be hope to the hopeless. And Father, I pray that verse. Let me go back to it. I pray that you, Father, the source of hope, will fill us completely with joy and peace because we trust in you that we may overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Mom.